We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Good day, Truth Perspective listeners. It is the greatest day in the world, in the history of the world. In the history of mankind. Fourth of July. For the greatest nation on the planet. Yep. Ever. It is Independence Day. And for, wow. this, for this Independence Day special, I am, as usual, Harrison Cayley, your host, my co-host, as usual, Elan Martin. Hello. And we've got Shane LaChance joining us today. As Hello. usual. Hi, everybody. So, it's a great day today. Great excuse for a whole bunch of people to get drunk and blow shit up. And uh, you have a good time, and I think probably not really know why they're doing it. But we'll get into that. It's still a great day for mankind in the history of progress and civilization. And freedom. And freedom and democracy. And, of course, we're talking about July 4th, uh, the day that uh, American citizens are supposed to be celebrating their independence from uh, England a few centuries ago. That's what it's about. We commemorate that by, uh, as you said, Harrison, uh, blowing shit up. Uh, Other people love to put hot dogs on the barbecue. Well, that really is how we celebrate, right? By blowing shit up. I mean, you know, going around, you know, from country to country. Yeah, hell, but I mean, we do that every day of the year. So I mean, that's true. Why, why not celebrate July Fourth every day? Oh. Every day is July Fourth in the United States of America. Well, you know, you read like all these headlines uh, about like you know patriotism and and you know all these feel-good articles about the Fourth of July, and it's rare to see. Uh, stuff coming out from the mainstream press talking about the U.S.'s misdeeds, right? I mean, how often do we see that? So I was pretty surprised when I came across the, an article from uh, the Express paper in the U.K. And, um, well, I'll, I'll just uh, say what it has to, what, the, what they wrote. Uh, the title is U.S. Marks Their Anniversary. What's next for, te- uh, for this terror group? So, um, U.S. marked its first anniversary this week in typical fashion by murdering dozens of innocent civilians. The barbaric terror group has launched a series of deadly terror attacks across three continents since last Friday. Individual attacks serve to enforce the success of the regime has had in sweeping across vast swaths of territory since, uh, since establishing its reign of terror. The network now enjoys influence across countries as far as Libya and Pakistan and has affiliates all across the West to include Europe, Africa, and Asia. ISIS oh, – wait, wait a second. I, you know what? I was reading IS as U.S. Oh. Oh, that's geez. Okay, Shane. That's a, that's a perfectly – yeah. they're, they're just so darn similar, and they just – 
seem to happen to celebrate their independence in strikingly similar ways. I mean, uh, yeah, please excuse my uh, my blunder there. Um, well, yeah. that, that brings up some good points. Well, I is very different from you. <laughs> that's that's the only difference, right? <laughs> uh, you, we all the same. Yeah. So, um, actually, you know, it, it's interesting to think about today and what it means to people, or doesn't mean. Um, in our July 4th Independence Day uh, round-the-clock research regarding this very big topic, we came across a, an interesting uh, set of interviews, you know, off the cuff on a beach by a blogger named uh, Mark Dice, who uh, Mark Dice or Mike yeah. Dice, and uh, asked a bunch of people who were willing to speak with him what their understanding was of today, July 4th. Well, this is just a, we've talked about this guy before, because he's the guy that goes around and interviews people and asks them really basic questions and they have no idea what the answers are. Like, he, And he's also, he's also kind of a jokester. Like, he's the guy that... Um, made the survey for nuking Russia and got a whole bunch of dumb Americans to sign it. Oh, that was this guy? Yeah, yeah same guy. And I think shortly after that, uh, Russia, the RT, and uh, another organization, too, had done their own polling in Russia to mm-hmm. see if they could get Russians to do the same. And you know, they were just disgusted. Yeah. You know, it was a normal reaction to wanting to nuke a country for nonsense. Okay, so here's the Americans. What country famously broke away from England to start their own country in the late 1700s? I have no idea, man. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> what are we celebrating on the 4th of July? Exactly? Our independence. A little more specific. Mm-hmm. It's the day that we overtook the South. And it's the day that... Um, it's our independence. It's, that's why we have the fire. From the South. From the South, exactly. So it was the victory of the Civil War? Yes. Fourth of July? Yes. The Declaration of Independence was signed by who? I don't know. Just name one person. Um, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Not. What year was that declaration? Was it 1964? 84? 1984? 1984? I don't know. No. 1864? 1860. I don't know. This country, no wonder this country's in trouble. What country did we declare our independence from? Help me, baby. Nope, just you. You're on your own. Um, California. California. From. Oh, from. We declared independence from a certain country, which is why we celebrate Fourth of July. What country was that? I don't have no idea. You're going to be celebrating, though. Yes. Yes. But you don't know what you're celebrating. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay. That's tonight's homework. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank, you. Thank you. Back in the late 1700s, when Jesse Ventura and John Wilkes Booth and the other founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> what year was that exactly? Sometime in the 1700s. I'm not sure. 
How many stars on this flag? Uh, 50-something. Well, what country did we declare independence from back in the 1770s? I don't know. You don't know? No. It's, it's kind of the reason we celebrate the 4th of July. I have no idea. No idea, but you're still going to be celebrating. I'm though. still going to celebrate. Well, you should have your celebration revoked. Because You're I don't know. You're not allowed to celebrate. Yeah. Because I'm banning you now from okay. celebrating. Well, I'm terrible. Well, what are we celebrating on the 4th of July exactly? Independence Day? Specifically? Our... I don't know. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Say Independence Day. Say when we won our independence. From? Those countries. <laughs> You have this on camera too. <laughs> uh, name one of the founding fathers of America. <laughs> I don't want to do this. You don't know? <laughs> what year did we declare independence from Britain? 1773? 1773. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Getting people's uh, thoughts on uh, what country we broke away from when we declared independence. Back in 1776. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> Didn't know. America celebrates the 4th of July. Is it Independence Day when you got rid uh, re of uh, Mother England, right? Yes. We have foreigners that know why we. Well, foreigners know why we celebrate it more than Americans. Everybody do. loves to get rid of their, like you know, like the the, the, colon, the colonizers. So it's uh, it's always That's good. That's incredible. <laughs> it's always good. Thanks for knowing that. That's yeah. incredible, man. Have a good, one. Have a good vacation. See ya. Okay. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, wow. I, you know, I couldn't laugh, actually. I, I wanted to laugh, but I couldn't. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be honest, I did too. <laughs> it's something he said, no wonder this country is in such trouble, as a comment to it. And uh, that's really the fact of the matter. I mean, you know, you have people kind of blindly... Uh, celebrating this holiday for decades uh, in the ways that they are, and they don't really have the most basic um, understanding of of what's behind it or what it means. Uh, so well, it's just it's it's celebrating our independence. <laughs> that's all. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I thought was interesting was there was a handful of comments about, you know, this uh, being a celebration of the Civil War and, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln, he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And But, you know, when we think back, you know, just these past couple of weeks, um, that's kind of been in the news a little bit lately, you know, the with the Confederate flag. It's been everywhere. Confederate flag is being taken down. So if this is what's most immediate in people's minds, maybe that's like really their only frame of reference to go from because there's like nothing else, nothing else there. No, no memory of, you know, actual history. Well, it, it's just kind of reflective of, uh, of uh, most people, especially Americans living in the moment, uh, you know, from, from one uh, pleasure to the next, not giving thought to what they're doing or who they are or, or where their roots come from or, uh, you know, why the U.S. Uh, has been until the past few decades as, quote-unquote, free as, as you know, we consider it. Um, 
Wikipedia has a little bit about the 4th of July. So um, I thought I would just read a little bit about it in case any of our listeners uh, found themselves as uh, uninformed as, as the interviewees. Uh, it's all, the Independence Day of the United States, also referred to as the 4th of July or July 4th in the U.S., is a federal holiday commemorating the adoption of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, by the Continental Congress, declaring that the 13 American colonies regarding, regarded themselves as a new nation, the United States of America, and no longer part of the British Empire. Independence Day is commonly associated with fireworks, parades, barbecues, carnivals, fairs, picnics, concerts, baseball games, family reunions, and political speeches and ceremonies. In addition to various other public and private events celebrating the history, government, and traditions of the United States, Independence Day is the National Day of the United States. During the American Revolution, the legal separation of the 13 colonies from Great Britain occurred on July 2, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence that had been proposed in June by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia, declaring the United States independent from Great Britain rule. After voting for independence, Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement explaining this decision, which had been prepared by a committee of five with Thomas Jefferson as its principal author. Congress debated and revised the wording of the Declaration, finally approving it on July 4. A day earlier, John Adams had written to his wife, Abigail, and he says, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. That's kind of interesting. He, uh, he evokes God. Oh, and he also evokes parades and fireworks, which I thought was kind of interesting because that's really what it's become, right? Yeah. What about flags? Got flags, too. Need flags. Oh, oh. This is the public service announcement from the government of the United States. Remember, you can buy your way to liberty and justice for all. The cost of freedom isn't free, so for God's sake, keep shopping. The local super center is currently selling flags big enough to cover the shame of killing innocent people all over the world. America, we can't do what we do without you. Whoa. Where did that come from? Wow. It looks like we're getting hacked by uh, some kind of public service announcement thing from the U.S. But, uh, well, I don't know. Is there anything we can do about that, Harrison? Got some, kind of ja- some kind of jamming device. I'll have to talk to the techies and see if we can jam the signal. Yeah, that's pretty uh, a little abrupt and, I mean, getting flags that can cover the shame of killing innocent people. I think they got flags big enough to stretch over the 
the very small conscience of America. Like, you wouldn't need a very, a very big fight. You could just have one of those. Yeah, you know, like actually. yeah, like kind of like the one that would fit in a cocktail on a little stick. Probably big enough because it's no real shame. That's that's very true. But you can still get some pretty big flags to kind of drape yourself in and uh, look patriotic. As long as you have the look, I mean, that's kind of what's important, right? And don't forget the chant. Oh, yeah, USA. USA, USA. Wow, make me nauseous. <laughs> anyway, I don't know how much we have to be proud of anymore. Um, we've gained our independence from uh, the British Empire, and uh, we've become an empire ourselves, of course. Um, I haven't read anything in quite a while that even touches on any kind of legitimate pride uh, that isn't a bit of propaganda about the U.S., you know, aside from a technical innovation here or there. Um, I mean, what do we have to be proud of these days? Almost well, nothing. That's that's the thing. Like I, I was thinking about this this past uh, week or, or more, because we have had, you know, there's a there's a black president, right? Oh, and that's true. we have a woman who may very well be the next president. Um, we have these Confederate flags being taken down, mm. and um, gay marriage. Gay marriage is, is just legalized. So you know you have all these things going around, and I think there's many, many Americans who see this as as signs of progress, and see this as a justification for you know what a great country we are, and you know. But really, when you scratch that facade just a little bit, you know, and and look at what we're really doing, you know, across the world, and the just the terror that we're we're unleashing. Um, you, know, you just have to scratch just a little bit, but it, it takes you know questioning you know just the surface, and you know when we can feel good about things, we can when we can feel good about you know our our so-called uh, human rights. Um, you know we don't have to look at the, the the human rights that we're actually violating. You know if the if today, well like you said the the U.S. declared its independence from an empire and became an empire in the process. Now, what would the U.S.'s reaction be today in a similar situation with uh, some colonies wanting to declare their own independence? I mean, just kind of turn the tables a bit and imagine the scenario. Well, you don't really have to go very far because just look at what the, what the U.S. does to countries that aren't even nominally part of the American empire, just states that it can considers their vassals or whatever, just just random countries that it wants to control in some way. The first sign that they that, that country shows of being actual, an actual sovereign nation, what do they do? They utterly destroy it. So and I mean, that's the horrific irony of it all, hmm. isn't it? Um you know, the U.S. is resting on this kind of reputation of being this uh, independent, sovereign, uh, empire-defeating entity that's become its own enemy. Um, and uh, unless people 
see that. Uh, well, I think we've, we've actually gone over the edge at this point. There's really no turning back. Uh, but, um, I mean, other, other nations in the world have seemed to learn by it or from it. Uh, the USSR was brought to its knees uh, in the early 90s and realized it uh, and has become and is working very hard to maintain its sovereignty from the U.S. Um, as the Federation of Russia, or the United Russian Federation. So, yeah, there's this very interesting um, irony about the U.S., and and what it's become in spite of itself. Well, just look at some of the things that are going on lately, just to show how free and independent the U.S. is. Well, what's independence even really mean? I mean, like the people in those clips, it was it's just a an emotional word that they use. They have no idea what it actually means to be an independent nation or even an independent person. But well, that aside for the second. In the last few weeks, I mean, well, just look at since the, Char- the Charleston shootings, um, apparently the KKK has upped its, its recruiting tactics and people in at least six states, well, in at least states, these guys have been dropping bags with flyers and candies on people's lawns at night uh, looking for new recruits, new members. And at the same time, we have uh, seven black churches that have been burned through arson. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a, that's a great sign of, of progress. And well, it's a display of independence, independence of any morality or common sense or just human, being a human. Well, and, you know, we, we made such a big deal when uh, Barack Obama was elected. And, you know, uh, I think many people saw that as a sign that, Okay, you know, we can elect a black president. We're not so racist anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at this past year and, you know, the amount of, you know, just um, this this, uh, unhinged like racism, you know, it seems to be finding its place. And, you know, that that probably has no small part to do with, you know, some, some other activities that are pushing for that. Um, but it is finding a place in uh, you know these these pathologicals uh, these pathological people you know they exist and and uh, and they are getting very comfortable. Well, that seems to be the pattern across the board. Uh, you know, in ostensibly progressive movements like um, Black Lives Matters, uh, you know, I don't know that it's done anything constructive to bring together. Um, any kind of understanding or reform in, in the way that the police state runs things. Uh, same thing, as you mentioned before, with gay marriage. I think, it, if anything, it just kind of divides people even more. It, it calls so much attention to, to itself that it doesn't forward any uh, understanding or uh, tolerance towards gays in this country. And unity with people as a whole you know, it's 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 uh it's only focused on like these movements are just so focused on, you know, um this racism or homophobia and it's not looking at you know the underlying dynamics which, you know, is ultimately a, a hatred towards humanity. And 
you know, as long as we're, you know, so divided, we're not going to, we're going to miss the big, the big picture of what's going on. Well, Chris Hedges had an interesting piece called The Lonely American. Uh, this came out just a few days ago. On SOT, I believe the title is Totalitarian Propaganda, Technological Isolation, and the Lonely American. And uh, basically his point was that uh, we've been dumbed down and separated from one another um, by a, a lack of uh, social cohesion that would come of um, rotary clubs and um, uh, civics clubs and even bowling leagues, uh, even even uh, NASCAR and, and race clubs, uh, which these organizations are having a hard time um, appealing to millennials precisely because they're so involved, self-involved with their selfies um, and, and this obsession with the image um, and just technological entertainment in general. Uh, so he makes some good points. Um, something he says is that totalitarian propaganda accompanied by isolation or what Hannah Arendt called atomization makes it possible for a population not to believe in anything, uh, not to believe in anything visible in the reality of their own experience. They do not have eyes and ears, but only their imaginations, which may be caught by anything that is at once universal and consistent in itself. This propaganda, Arendt went on, gave the masses of a time definable, unstable, and futile individuals a means of self-definition and identification. So, uh, and Hedges goes on to compare um, this social isolation to uh, Nazi Germany, um, which I think is a an, an inevitable kind of comparison. And it made me think a little bit of... Um, Sebastian Hafner's uh, Define Hitler, where uh, Sebastian Hafner is a young kind of um, legal aide was sent off into this uh, kind of pseudo-Nazi um, training camp. And, um, and the interesting thing he points out was that for most of his time there, they were just listening to all of, all of these nationalistic uh, and jingoistic songs and were kind of imbued um, kind of subconsciously um, by Nazism without even realizing it. You know, they, they I think they did at points were made to listen to speeches by uh, the Nazi leadership. But for the most part, it was just this kind of very subtle dumbing down um, and indoctrination that was even more dangerous for the fact that it wasn't obvious. Yeah. This is a public service announcement from the government of the United States. This is Independence Day. We would like to thank all our subjects for their loyal servitude and unquestioning compliance and dependence on a system run by us, an elite group of rich white people who don't really care about you one way or the other. America, love it or leave it. Oh, another one. Those Independence Day announcements. Who was that guy? Creepy. 
I'm glad that, you know, it's kind of annoying to be interrupted like that, but at least, you know, I'm, I'm liking these public service announcements. They're, it's refreshing to hear something just so open and transparent and honest. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that is true. You know, we um, we usually don't get the, the 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 full force of you know these messages. So at least they uh, at least you're right here. So at least you're putting it out there. <laughs> as it is. Like it is yeah. But um, but back to this this uh, Chris Hedges article. Um, you know when he was talking about the decline in attendance. You know from these sporting events and, and other issues. It's you know, it wasn't just uh, about uh, low attendance, but he's talking about like the the social breakdown of of our communities, and these are you know this is what makes up our civilization, or you know our our human groups. It's how we define you know our own humanity, which is through others, and that's really not happening. And instead, people are turning to their technology and, and their phone. Um, there was a related article on top today about how uh, people, when they first wake up, the first thing they think of is, is their phones. And to check, you know, to check their Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, it's not necessarily their significant other or other loved ones. It's it's their phone, and uh, that's kind of a well, it's certainly a sign of the times, and um, and I think it relates a lot to what Hedges was, was talking about. And while technology you know, is pulling this direction, uh, we're also I think there are fundamental things that we've been indoctrinated with that are pulling us in those directions as well. Um, technology just seems to be kind of escalating things uh, a bit, and uh, one of one of uh, Hedge's points was that you know, this is creating basically a, a captive society uh, where we've become uh, imprisoned, you know, by um, basically by noise. Um, there's there's so much noise that it doesn't necessarily they don't the the uh, people in power they're not worried so much about. People uh, saying what the truth is because it's drowned out by so much noise. Um, so it really puts the responsibility on people who can hear the truth uh, to you know, to share it uh, when you know when it's appropriate and 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 to put put that out there to speak the truth. Well, it looks like we've got a caller, uh, Jonathan from Tampa Bay, has some comments for us. So, hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great, and um, I have my my red, white, and blue jockstrap on. <laughs> all right. I'm not going to show it to anybody at all. I'm not weird like that, <laughs> but uh, it just keeps it. It just keeps my patriotism in the right place. That support it gives me, well, feels so good. All right, but uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, um, I've been listening to your show. Uh, I look forward to it every Saturday. And um, it's really very, very refreshing to hear somebody, some people, think some of the thoughts that I think. And um, because I, I really, I do a lot of hard manual labor, and um, I'm really, I'm able to read a little bit at night. But um, you know, uh, I'm very, very, um, I'm very, very impressed by your critical thinking, especially with respect to Russia, 
um, because I'm 50, 51, and, you know, when I was a kid and growing up, my biggest fear has always been, you know, everything going radioactive because no matter how bad things get, we do have the capacity to rebuild after a collapse, but this this is um, seems like it's heading to something that could could escalate into a nuclear uh, showdown and annihilation, and I'm very, very afraid of it, and um, I get kind of nervous because, you know, I start doing just some minimal research, and I'm like, I'm, wow, you know, these they're bombing people in the East, and it's like, it's like nobody says anything about it. It's like, you know, you move your mouth and, like, nothing comes out. When I try to – and then when I try to relate to other people, like, hey, you know, they're lying to us about this. Just do some research. It's like I get – I've gotten so many um, – I've gotten so many kind of, like, reactions like, wow, you know, that we're saying that, you know. And it's absolutely true. They're – they're just bombing these people and murdering them. And then you just, you just, the lack of reaction, um, you know, on the part of the so-called progressive left here. And uh, I don't even know if that really exists, but uh, wow, it's just, it's very, it's, it's extremely frightening. And um, I, my theory is this, um, and I wanted to see what y'all thought of it. See, my theory is when I talk about things to people, I think everybody really knows deep down really what is going on. Maybe not particulars, but they do know that there's an oligarchy and that we're bombarded with propaganda. And I believe that when you hear people say just like stupid stuff, they really don't believe it. Like when you have a poor person that might spout like some kind of crap against unions, they really don't believe it. They're just saying that because they're fearful and they need to keep work in a context where the, their overlords really want everybody to, to spew out the propaganda, hate unions and all that. So I really believe most people really know what's going on. But what keeps them from articulating um, what they know or, or you know, pursuing curi- with curiosity, pursuing and discussing is just basically fear. And I don't think people are as dumb as a lot of people that are kind of intellectual types would, would maybe put them in that box as being. And I just wanted to know what y'all's reaction to that, what I just said is. Well, I, I think that's a really good uh take on it, Jonathan. I mean, you know, you think about the images that have come out of Abu Ghraib in Iraq and uh, the, the knowledge that a lot of people have, um, even in passing, of, of what's happened in Guantanamo, for instance. And I think all of these images have been working on people um, unconsciously so that even if um, there would be some uh, propensity or, or movement or impetus towards knowing more and acknowledging how truly terrible things are. Uh, like you said, there, there is this fear and they don't even know uh, why they have this fear exactly, but, but it's there. And the other thing I would just add is that, you know, like we were saying um, in reference to Chris article, there are these layers and layers of uh, sleep inducing uh, 
entertainment uh, propaganda uh, technology that um, so it's like imagine you're waking up in the morning and um, you know you're you're still unless you're someone who just pops out of bed uh, you're you're kind of half oblivious to certain things and we're being kept in this state of half obliviousness to uh, the terror of the situation um, does anyone else have anything to add to that? Well, yeah, on, on the fear aspect, um, yeah, I think it might have been uh, Sebastian Hoffner who was who who brought up how Nazi Germany, you know, how how they maintained control, and it was through this picture, this uh, this image that they were able to project, and you know, the the SS and the Gestapo, they didn't have, you know, these. Um, immense amount of people working for them who were able to organize and uh, keep track of all these people. But by putting this image out of fear, they were able to enlist uh, the people. And, uh, and, and it was basically the people who did their work for them. And you can kind of think about it in similar terms to uh, the NSA. Now, the NSA collects all this data, and you know, I'm sure they have these gigantic supercomputers who, you know, are able to um, filter X, Y, Z. But when it comes down to it, it's just so much data that, you know, it, it's almost useless. So, but it's it's this, people know about uh, NSA spying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have, you have this kind of uh, ingrained fear that works, that works for them. And that might be, you know, more of a goal than collecting the information itself. There's another part of the picture I think that I think this might get to what you're what you're talking about, Jonathan. That on on a deep on some level, like you're saying, people are aware of this stuff, and I think this is where we can get into some psychology. Like we've talked in the past about um, so-called System One and System Two. So we've got the the kind of automatic emotional thinking that we go through, and then we've got the verbal so-called conscious thinking that we that uh, that we use to attach narratives to what's going on with us and the world around us. So I think that you're right and that probably a lot of people do know what's going on on some primitive instinctive level. They just know that something's not right, but they don't have the words. First of all, they don't have the words with which to express this because those possibilities are closed off in mainstream culture where you don't hear these alternative viewpoints um, on the mainstream news from, or from politicians. It's like um, they, don't, they don't give people the opportunity to even consider these as viable options for what I can think about what's going on. In fact, they're present, if they are presented, it's with this social stigma, so you cannot believe these things, you cannot think these ways, because that makes you evil or that makes, or it just, you know, or you might be a terrorist or whatever. But what, so all that they have are these slogans and these meaningless phrases and words. And so this is what you hear when you talk to people. It's just the, the automatic words that come out that they know, again, they know on some level that these are the words that they're supposed to say, but they have no idea what they actually mean. And so yeah, they're, yeah. in essence, yeah. or, go on. Yeah. Do you want to share well, something? Well, yeah, I just wanted to say this. Um, you know, I, I've always been a big believer that um, – you know, in, uh, in in like Martin Luther King Jr., I was I'm very unusual in that I was raised by by black folks during that time. One of my memories was, uh, you know, uh, watching Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, funeral on television, 
and uh, the the male the male in the household he was actually a Black Panther, right? And it's a weird situation how I got in that, and um, so I took the Black Panthers as like like I did more research into them, and I'm like, wow, you know, we've been told all these lies, and and so I took that as part of a model that I developed to try to do something that's proactive that can um, that can kind of transcend the the bullcrap kind of uh, reciprocal kind of Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative thing. So I developed a system of engaging landscaping in homes that were, through which we can develop lettuce, onions, radishes, and I can and then I was showing people how they could do this aesthetically. And instead of just throwing water on lawns and putting, you know, washing chemicals into our aquifer, can do it all naturally. And then through this process, you will have surplus that will pay for the service, pay for the effort. And then you can distribute the vegetables that are fresh right in the same neighborhoods. And I looked at it and like, wow, this is a this is an incredible model. And I developed a logo for it, and I put everything into it. And um, it was amazing. I actually developed an example of this, and then it and then it just absolutely didn't take off. I mean, some of the neighbors would look at it. I was ended up giving away a lot of this stuff for free, and I'm like, dang, you know what? I could employ people, and I could pay them well, and I could bring food to people's doorstep that's picked fresh without chemicals, uh, raised ecologically. And and people would get this food for less than they would go than they would travel to some place and buy it. I mean, it was just an incredible model, and it fell flat on its face. You know, and long story short, you know, I ended up doing these experiment and stuff and risking everything, and then, um, you know, eventually I've lost everything. I mean, I became I became bankrupt from that experience. And I also became a whistleblower, which is another story which affected my livelihood. And I was a whistleblower with respect to a flagrant violation of our wetland regulations and so forth. And, I, and I'm a specialist in that area as well because I love natural ecosystems, especially swamps and wetlands. But anyway, the bottom line is I realized that I could do this. We could develop this. We could employ people. People would get an excellent value, and it would transcend any of this class stuff. You know, where you're, you're the 1%. I always disagreed with that, the whole notion of pitting the 99 against the 1, because there's 3 million 1%ers. And when you automatically configure all of these people as your enemy, that's a losing strategy. And um, the, the way to go forward, in my view, is to transcend all the BS, you know, rival, you know, the hate, and don't, don't, and, and lift everybody up by being better. And that was my notion, and I was called naive for it. And, um, you know, and I guess if, in a cynical analysis, I was naive. But um, I do believe in our capacity as human beings, and I'm saying this right now as somebody who's basically living in my truck. I believe in our capacity to do better, and we don't have to be sentenced to a, a reality where everything becomes uglier and more polluted every day. And if we can't, like, get behind that and do things better and build value, then we're doomed. 
and that terrifies me, but I tried, and I don't want that to be my epitaph on my, my tombstone. Hey, he tried. <laughs> I think that, that's just sad, right? But, um, well, it's better than most people, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, well, the long and the short of it is, and I might I might write y'all a, a, a more a longer kind of email kind of explaining. I'm using a, a non de gar right now, if you will, in my, my name, but I could explain more about my whistleblowing and all and what has happened. But really, man, think about it. We're smart. You guys are smart enough to see through the BS and see that Putin isn't evil. And uh, I'm very, I'm very impressed by the man, by the way. And um, you know, he's he's one of the few like major world leaders that I think is an exemplary human being. But if we can't mm-hmm. like do better, and and if we can't take, if we can't see the the little strategies and in, in games that that's so predictable, that keep people divided, if we can't transcend that by doing something more brilliant and more better and more healthy. And just, and I think it has to come down just to the economics of it, how you live your life, to what you put in your body, and and how and, and help people save money and live better, and showing that 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 going and building through unity, and building each other up, we can do that. We could actually freaking win. But and it'll be a, I've, I've developed my model to be something like a Craigslist. Where if you exert more energy and you want to, if you want, if we can monitor everything that you do in growing this, and it's ecological, and you do something better, you can't keep any of your any of your strategies and your your methods a secret, but it's open source, and you can become a millionaire for doing it if you if you exert the the human power and the energy and you add value to people. If I could build something like that, where I'm not even going to become a millionaire, it's all about everybody being able to be compensated for their efforts and everybody getting better value and building something like that. We could totally do that. And we could just blow away Walmart, you know, and then we could reinforce the notion that through your own efforts, through your labor, you can help rebuild your own life and we could sell these products inside a community. I mean, it's just so obviously just there, the potential to do that. And I developed the model of it. I developed the logo and all of that. And it's not about me becoming a millionaire. I could give a crap, you know, about any of that. But but everybody getting involved in taking their their destiny back, you know, and being and being not just a freaking consumer, but recognizing that you're a producer as well as a human being, a citizen, et cetera, et cetera. We could be brilliant. We could do that. But the only thing that keeps us from doing it is that the the lack of solidarity and then the the fear and um these are the things that i've seen that the lack of solidarity especially it's just like they just drum it into you it's in the movies you watch and it's everything man it's just it's crazy but you know what i'm just so tired of being tired of it i'm just so ready to just do something that's brilliant and beautiful with the remaining part of my life and um you know, I would hey, love to that happen. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, yeah, I, uh, I, I think we, I think we all share your, um, your feelings and your, uh, your wanting to make things um, better for other people. And I speak to a few of the things you said. One of them is that uh, even if uh, you 
didn't succeed uh, in that particular project, I do think that um, it it counts for a lot in these in the grand scheme of things. And the same uh, the same vision, the same energy, the same uh, intelligence, the same wisdom uh, that you uh, harness in yourself to bring that project forward can be used again uh, towards something else. And um, you said that you've been listening to the shows uh, and enjoying them. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I think we all are. Um, and just some food for thought in the coming times, you know, you, you know that we're, we're headed towards a, a real serious economic catastrophe, if not, you know, some uh, military conflict and earth changes. And um, I think that by your reaching out to others who are like-minded and they, they are out there uh, and sharing your, your, um, yourself with them uh, and finding the right people uh, and, and working on practical solutions um, for, uh, for getting through these times because uh, they will change, and and like a birth, it's going to be bloody and messy and 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 awful, and and there'll be a lot of turmoil. But you know, there's the hope that out of all of that chaos will come something new and uh, and um, positive and constructive. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to encourage you. Yeah, thank you. Take. I just want to leave you all with this. Um, I do a lot of physical labor every day, so um, by the time I really enjoy podcasts, you know, but there's so few, but there's such a uh, dearth of material out there that's really that really just does something for me. But I wanted to. I've been in contact with my friend. Um, his name is Joaquin Flores, and um, mm-hmm. he he has a uh, he's on the internet. His name is Joaquin Flores. And this guy is just one of the most incredible political scientists, analysts. He's based in Serbia right now. And this guy is his uh, critique of, you know, his analysis of what's going on in Ukraine and the EU is just so in- incredible and powerful. I I asked him if, if you got if he might be interested in doing an interview with y'all. And I don't know if you're even familiar with this guy, Joaquin Flores. Yeah, he writes. Uh, he, you can find his stuff on Fort Russ, right? Yes, yes. And yeah. I, I, this guy is—he's—he's he's just a really—he's just a really admirable human being. And um, his analysis is just like—he's such one of the most sharp political analysts, you know, because there's all of this illusion going on and behind the scenes, getting into the roots of the power relationships. He is just stellar. You know, and he's a he's a great human being at that, and um, so and I don't say that about many people, you know, at all. But uh, I really am impressed by Joaquin Flores, and if if you guys could any way set up a an hour long interview with him, man, I think that would just be great for your show. So that's just my well, yeah. my just an idea I'm throwing out there. No, thanks, Jonathan. I think we we will we'll try to get him on the show. I've liked his stuff okay. too, so we'll we'll see if we can get in contact yeah, with him. I'll, I'll probably send y'all an email just to give you a little bit more depth about where I'm coming from, and, and I'm 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 very honored to have uh, spoken with y'all, and I've, I've enjoyed all of the material you guys present every Saturday. So anyway, and, and um, enjoy your rest of the weekend, and and y'all take care, okay? All right, you too, Jonathan. Thank you. Nice talking with you, Jonathan. Right. Thanks for the call, Jonathan. Right. Bye bye.
Bye-bye. And, well, actually, I just wanted to say one more thing, Jonathan, if you're still listening, that, uh, um, well, we're really glad to hear from you, and people like you are the reason we do the show. So it's always great to hear from, you know, any of our listeners, um, you know, what they're doing and just to hear that they appreciate the show because it lets us know that, you know, at least at least one person's listening and that we're, you know, we're not just uh, crying out to, into the wilderness. <laughs> so that uh, that means a lot to us, so thank you. And um, and yeah, keep up the keep up the work that you're doing. And uh, good luck. I hope things turn around. I I think that the that business model, like that idea, that's something that we can really get behind. I mean, we've talked about similar things before, and just fostering that sense of a, an actual sustainable community that isn't dependent on these major corporations that are totally unreliable when you when it comes down to it. And will be they'll be totally useless in the future. I mean, just the, the way that we've set up everything about our culture and our society is totally unsustainable and dependent. Just, yeah, we are totally in dependence on uh, on these systems of you know the corporatocracy and well, pretty much everything. So, but the the problem is is that they're they're just. I mean, some people see it. But it's a very small minority, and so I think that, like you were saying, around the best thing to do is to find those few people around you and to to form form your own community of like-minded people. Because there are going to be the vast majority that will just reject the ideas out of hand because they are so entrenched in this unsustainable system. And since it is an unsustainable system, you know, it will collapse. And that's what we're seeing so many signs for. And while, you know, society might not be receptive to these ideas at large, there will be a time when, you know, these kinds of things uh, will be needed and essential for for people's survival. And it's things like uh, building you know, your practical knowledge uh, about whether it's farming or basic homesteading or, and, and things like that but also connecting with other people about it because trying to do survival stuff on your own, it's, 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 it's like a self-defeating thing. You know, mm-hmm. what's, what's the purpose of, of that? Yeah. Well, I thought something else that was kind of interesting was how he uh, used his research into uh, the death of Martin Luther King and, and that whole movement as a kind of a impetus to empower himself. Uh, he, at least that's what I got out of his description, that he, uh, there was something he realized, um, maybe how, uh, the, you know, the promise of, of King's message, uh, was taken by the U S government's bullet. Um, but that, uh, he had to carry on with that message. He internalized it for himself and, um, translated it into action. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I think if we're, if we're looking at all this information, uh, it's kind of scary and, uh, and foreboding, but, uh, translating it into, um, an appreciation for our own, uh, authenticity. Uh, cause it's funny. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he, he does have a political philosophy, and he thinks on political terms, but for him, 
what, what came most natural was making these sustainable um, gardens for people. Very practical. Well, I'm thinking about the word independence and just from some of the things we've been discussing, I want to just get into that because I opened up my dictionary to look at the def- definition of independent. The first entry is free from outside control, not depending on another's authority. Now, of course, that can be read in different ways. Um, and there can be you know, a good type of independence and a bad type of independence, just strictly on this definition. So not depending on another's authority, free from outside control. Now, I think that the, that America in general has taken that. They've looked at the definition maybe, and they've said, well, you know, that's a, that's a great idea. I don't want to be under anyone's control. I want to be able to do whatever the hell I want to do, and no one can tell me not to, even if that means rape, murder, torture, and just and stealing, and just getting everything I can for me and my kind um, against everyone else. So I think it's very, you know, it's in that sense, Independence Day is a very legitimate holiday because we're, Americans are celebrating their independence from any authority, any moral authority, any authority of, of justice or good just to get what I want. Well, I think that you know, in using that definition, it really reflects uh, the the leadership of the United States, and that's really how most Americans define uh, our country is through our leaders. Um, and really, you know, that, that's, that's how these psychopaths uh, operate. And that's how the, the U S is kind of currently um, for the time being, you know, in, in uh, having its position on, over the world, it's, it's independent in, mm-hmm. in a sense. But at the same time, there's does that mean that dependence is a bad thing? Well, again, there's posit like there's a positive aspect of being dependent and a negative aspect. Like when you, if you have a community, you need people that you can depend on. I mean that's one of the fundamental aspects of being in a community is to be able to to depend on your neighbors, to be able to trust them, to have this faithful relationship within that community. So it's not this black and white issue. And well there's another de- definition for independent under the, the, sub, the subheading for the one that I just read, not influenced or affected by others. Now, that's a good thing, I think. Or again, can be read in a good way. To not be, not to not be influenced or affected by others. Now, in that, if we take that definition, then I can, I think we can safely say that probably 99 plus percent of Americans do not fit that definition of independence because they are totally influenced and affected by others by the media, by their peers, by society, by their leaders. I mean, which, which, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Okay. It, 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 you, it, there is some good mm-hmm. in being able to rely on other people mm-hmm. and uh, to you know, take into consideration you know, their views and, and, and such things. And you know, it seems to me that this idea of independence fits so well into uh, the American perception of itself because it has this like rugged individualism, mm-hmm. you know, and like, that's what America has become. You know, we're individualistic and, you know, we only think of ourselves. We're s- such a selfish, uh, self-centered nation. It's just all about the self. And that's mm-hmm. this idea of independence, whether, you know, it doesn't really fit 
with reality, mm-hmm. um, it, it does reflect you know what we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. In a sense, it's just another one of those meaningless um, slogan keywords that uh, catch words, catch phrases that that people go by. I mean, just listening to those clips. Oh, yeah, it means we're independent. I mean, the woman saying that probably had no idea what that even means. Independence. It's just a word. It's like freedom and democracy. And it just makes you feel good when you say it because there's all these positive connotations with it. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's totally meaningless. When you actually look at it, of course, it is a word. It does have meanings and there are shades and levels and dimensions to this word. But all of that is just totally lost on most people, I think. Well, I was thinking of some of this kind of on the micro level, you know, with the so-called rebellious teenager, for instance, um, and that whole dynamic. You know, you have a teenager who's got a parent, let's say, who is um, kind of imposing their uh, their idea of proper behavior or or what have you. And it seems to me like in any instance where there's that dynamic, uh, you know, the, the, the teenager or the child or the person in society can react in one of two ways. They can either blindly uh, uh, acquiesce and do what they're told uh, because of their belief in a, this authority figure, or they can rebel. They can react. They can do things to make a show of being independent that actually keep them uh, very tied to the authority. It's just another kind of uh, a weird backcast or ask backward uh, acknowledgement of that authority. When you know there might be a middle way, there might be a certain amount of uh, thoughtfulness exercised towards what the parent was 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 saying or wanting. Uh, there can be some negotiation involved. Uh, there can be a, you know, a, a kind of um, uh, some kind of communication. I guess my point is that if you go in either one of those directions, either acquiescing with no thought to what you're doing or being told, or reacting out of this knee-jerk response, uh, you're not going to be free or independent. You're going to be subject to those very forces that uh, you're you're under or connected to. Um, so just a just a kind of thought uh, that can be applied to uh, any situation, any relationship. Well, it seems to me that the that our definition of and by our I mean you know, the American definition of independence. It is a very primitive idea um, where you know there aren't where others aren't really part of the picture, and that there's been a really long standing uh, idea about like uh, Chris Hedges was talking about just this isolation when you look at the United States on the map, you know it's isolated by oceans, and you know we've kind of we've been uh, just isolated from from war um the only thing that could come close to you know, uh, an experience of war was you know, the Civil War 150 years ago. And that's just not part of the uh, American consciousness. And we're so separated in, in our thinking and uh, how we perceive the world that it's easy to um, 
put others in this completely foreign category uh, where you know we don't we don't really see them as a, a as a part of humanity. We're the only things that you know really exist in our own minds. It's you know, it's a very centric uh, ideology, and that's what allows I think you know all these all these wars and uh, all, all these um, these these things to happen because we're, we're so isolated in, in in our thinking, and and yet. Yet we try to think that we for isolating Russia and China. I mean, seriously, these countries are are more are becoming more connected uh, to so many other countries in ways that we never have. It's it's just so it's just such a, a ironic uh, a thing that you know we think that we can isolate uh, China and Russia when you know they're really in the the center of the world. And we're the ones that are isolated. Well, that, that's a great case in point, actually, because it's it's forced them to, you know, lift themselves up e- economically uh, in in really constructive ways. So uh, there is a little bit of tit for tat, you know, Russia saying, okay, you're going to impose sanctions on us. Uh, we're going to do it with you, too. And you know what? We're going to start growing our own food in mass and China, too. And uh, and we're going to find alternate routes for for sending our natural resources to the countries that we want to, not not the countries that we're being told to. Well, we've, we've got Kent on the line. Kent, are you there? How are you doing? Pretty good. Hi, Kent. How are you doing? Am I on Kent, the air? You got a, do you have a, yeah, you're on the air. Do you got something you want to share with us? Oh, yeah. You were talking about um, freedom and democracy, those very, very slippery words, and I've always been amused by those uh, those words, particularly freedom. It's a word that can mean anything to anybody, so it really means nothing to, to anybody. Like when George Bush says, they hate us for our freedom, and people scoff at that. Well, uh, actually, he was, from his perspective, he was um, probably telling the truth because he's one of the wealthy people and who, you know, representing the corporations who think they are free have the freedom to go into these countries and kill anybody they want and take their resources. So to them, that's freedom. And, of course, people hate him for it, so he was actually telling the truth. Uh, he's not talking mm-hmm. about you or you or I down, you know, the peasantry down on the ground, but from his, you know, corporatized position, he was saying they do hate us for our freedom. It's just like when yeah. a politician says, when uh, we're talking about our children, does he mean the collective or his community or his country club or his family, you know. So those are all very slippery words. And, uh, of course, democracy, how I listen to some of these alternative radio programs, and they're always drawing this idiotic distinction about a republic versus a democracy. And supposedly there was, I found it on the Internet at one point, but there was an Army manual, uh, you know, intelligence manual back in the 30s or something that, describing democracy as uh, something to be uh, crushed because democracy, they said, was mob rule. In other words, democracy was theoretically, according to this manual, was a, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, where everybody gets together and if 50-50.1 vote for it, then that's the rule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, they said it was mobocracy. So actually that this was a, this was an instruction manual that, you know, the people, officers would read and 
and uh, that would crush democracy. So when you see these, and I imagine it's still in effect, so when the military goes around in these countries where uh, Pinochet or, I mean, uh, uh, Allende down in Chile or in these places where people are elected democratically, well, these military officers have seen, read this manual and says, well, democracy is mobocracy, and so we have to go crush it. So it's, so it's those, those those words are very, anytime I hear those words come out of somebody's mouth, I just tune them out. I never use those words, and and uh, so I just don't trust anybody to use any of those words. <laughs> well, thanks, Ken. I, I use those words, but always with a sarcastic smile on my face. So I hope that's, accept- yeah. that's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, but uh, as long as, well, yeah, I agree with you there. All right, well, thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Take Thank care. You. Well, it kind of relates right. to um, political polarology. I, I think even um, Lobachevsky, he uses freedom as, a, as an example and it ties directly to what uh, Kent's saying, and of um, uh, paramoralism, um, where psychopaths can, you know, they'll take these words and twist them and kind of, you know, define them in, in a way where freedom becomes a license to do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. and that's that's really, you know, how how it's uh, how it's been used uh, in the United States. Well, what. Ken said reminded me a little bit of this study that uh, I think it was the Pentagon came out with a few years ago, and we might have discussed it here on the Truth Perspective a few weeks back, where um, a kind of a, a questionnaire um, was sent out to all the various uh, armed forces in the U.S., the Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, where they were asked point blank, um, you know, how would you feel about shooting on your fellow Americans uh, in a time of upheaval. I think that's how it was qualified. And um, I, th- I think a healthy majority in most of the arms, armed forces were against it, um, except for the Air Force, if I remember correctly. Uh, but just just asking that kind of question, just taking this type of survey uh, to understand how they can uh, corral their, you know, their people uh, into thinking a certain way, um, into vilifying Americans who might not like uh, or resist um, some situations uh, as they may come to pass in the U.S. It's very telling and also speaks a lot to you know, the police force in the U.S. and and how they've been conditioned to think of protesters. You know, these hippie granolas, they smell, um, you know, the no-goodniks, you know, parasites on society, that type of thing. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of this social conditioning going on and, and a lot of attention being paid to how just how far uh, the military is likely to go in exercising the oligarchy's um, will to power. Well, speaking of the police, this story I read this week, uh, it's just another one of those crazy stories with the police. In Massachusetts, police went to to the wrong home. You know, they were looking for someone as usual. They went to the home of this 88-year-old widow. So they're at the wrong house. They knock on the door. She opens it and she's got a knife 
at the, you know, she's holding it at her hip level to defend herself against any possible intruders. So what do the cops do instead of, you know, realizing they're at the wrong house and apologizing and, you know, making the, the woman feel safe and, uh, you know, just being very humble and decent human beings, they, uh, you know, basically stormed her, grabbed the, kni- grabbed the knife, pushed her. She slapped one of them, good on her. And so then for being slapped, they threw her to the ground and arrested her and hauled her to jail for assaulting a police officer. And yeah, I just uh, another story of police exercising their independence of any kind of moral aptitude. Well, that's how that's how they really see people is even if even if the person isn't you know their their uh, their object of, that they're going after. People in general are the enemy, and like you were getting at, Elon, you know, this is this is coming from it's coming from all angles. You know, it's it's in the military, uh, and you know that's how they're trying to train soldiers to see all people, even their own people, as the enemy. And it's it's pervasive. It's it, we see it in the police. We see it in uh, teachers in their view towards children. You know, we're seeing every- America. This is a public service announcement from the government of the United States. Terror! The American way of life is in danger! You are in danger! Terrorists! If you see something innocuous that could be blown way out of proportion and cause a nationwide panic, say something! Unless you see something that would expose this giant charade, that shit needs to be kept under wraps. Never forget, loose lips sink ships. Terrorism! Be afraid! Be very afraid! You will probably die! Was that, was that General Briggs? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like him, yeah. America. America. Yeah, you, that's, you'll probably die. That's, that's pretty much the message. Take home. Yeah. Yeah, well, what were you saying, Shane? <laughs> uh, just, this, just this pervasiveness of how uh, how everybody is you know, seen as the enemy and and like uh like the ending there we're taught that we will probably die it's it's ingrained even in us that hey you know maybe we are the enemy and you know, we better uh, fall in line i think that i think that kind of hits the bullseye right there fall in line or you will be the enemy uh and how many different ways are we being told that um question is how are we going to recognize it how are we going to respond to it uh you know it can't be militarily necessarily we're outpowered um you know uh it has to be in some kind of a uh a kind of a peaceful um and thought out and, and ordered way uh and like you said Shane it's it's coming at us from all angles um, so, yeah, we can't react. We have to respond. Well, it kind of gets to the question of, you know, this uh, definition of independence, you know, is there a definition of independence that we can use and apply that could be useful? And it can go back to the discussion that we had uh, a few weeks ago on Dabrowski. And, but he... Uh, saw as the capacity in people uh, to be autonomous human beings, 
uh, to grow and to develop that personality and to move past these uh, primitive meanings um, and to find you know real depth and real meaning uh, within our own lives and uh, to use that for development and you know, we might touch on some some independence there mm-hmm. some real independence that just reminds me of religion speaking of well I think the main thrust of everything that we've been saying is that America and the majority of the world is not free and independent. In fact, humanity is enslaved. We are enslaved to so many things. I'd say particularly Americans are, you know, they're just enslaved to so many different things and subject to so many different powers. And and, uh, religion's a big one. And I think one of the one of the ways that that is is that if you if you just look at the the theology and the the, the way that mainstream Christians think about religion, it's just totally absurd. And the like, if you think about the whole idea about salvation and how how uh, you know how Jesus saves, because I you know I can get behind some some premises of Christian faith that there is a humanity and the human condition does seem to be in some way inherently um, screwed up, and there's you know there's something very deeply wrong with humans and how they go about their lives and live it. And so, I mean, what is salvation but transcending that condition to something better? But how do you go about that? Well, all you got to do is proclaim Jesus and say Jesus' name and accept Him in your heart and establish a personal relationship with Him. You just have to have faith. You just have to say that you believe in Jesus. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Just say it, like, okay, so I've been this sinful person my entire life. Everyone sins, and there's nothing I can really do about it. And so uh, the only way, so how am I going to get saved? Oh, well, you know, thanks, God. Thanks, Jesus. You know, he did everything for me, so I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is believe in him. And everyone else that, that doesn't is just uh, just doomed to carry out their lives and, and go to hell eventually. I mean, how simplistic and moronic is that idea? Well, it's it's like an ideology that you find, you know, thousands of years ago. That's magical, yeah. you know. Just uh, believe in this, and magic happens, and you're saved. It's, it's a very fantastic, fantasy-laden idea. It's just as simplistic and moronic as, uh, you know, the chosen people of Israel and Zionism. Uh, when in fact, you know, if you look at the situation, the, the very vehemence that they uh, invest in defending themselves, uh, which is really just uh, you know, acting out of aggression and and um, and cleansing uh, large parts of um, Gaza and and the West Bank and and having a hand in other regions in the Middle East and Africa. Uh, you know, this is the very behavior that makes them the unchosen. Uh, it's this fervor. It's this uh, narrow uh, thinking. Um, that is is very kind of me centric, and in in that respect, Israel is a lot like the U.S. Let's uh, let's put that on hold for a sec. We got another caller. So this is uh this is Leslie from Franklin, North Carolina, and she's got a comment. So hi, Leslie, how's it going? What do you got to say? Hey guys, thanks for doing the show today. I just was listening, and I was thinking about um, a couple of things. One that um, you gentlemen had not touched on. And that was kind of what it's like to be a woman in America. Um, Mm. 
the gender aspect of it. I can, you know, as I look out and as I see what's happening in our country and, you know, you touched on the bullying and you touched on um, how we treat other countries just on the whole from kind of that nationalistic perspective. But there's also just kind of concern, you know, there are other countries on the planet where it is dangerous to be a woman. It's dangerous in, you know, certain countries, certain areas. And when I talk with my daughter about what it means to be a citizen or a patriot or the difference between those sorts of things, you know, that gender inequality, I think, um, is there as well. And I was just wondering if, if you guys had any comments in regards to how women are perceived in this country, how women are perceived in other countries, and how that kind of translates um, into the bigger picture of what we can do as a kind of where we are in the grand scheme of things. Um, just sure. If you had any yeah. comments. Well, just to start out with, I think that the perception of women in general in, I guess, every country is just atrocious. And speaking of dependence and independence, I think that this comes from well, two factors. One, apparently psychopaths tend to be more, there's tend to be more male psychopaths than female psychopaths. So naturally, um, well, and then take into account a second thing is that males tend to be stronger and more violent than women. Add those together and you get men in charge of pretty much every social structure on the planet. And like every other human, Men are totally dependent to and in control of their, um, you know, the total basis, lowest aspects of their personality, of their being. And so it's really a recipe for disaster. And this filters down to every level of, of society. And so even if there are other countries that where it may be more dangerous to be a woman, I think that still in so-called Western countries, there's just so much that women have to deal with um, coming from, you know, these brutish, um, you know, low-level humans called called men in general. Sorry to, you know, my f- fellow males, but um, well, just to get us started off. Well, yeah, I think uh, what you touched on, Harrison, is uh, spot on, and it seems that masculinity has been defined through this uh, this psychopathic structure which really has this um this hatred towards all humanity but specifically you know the feminine and creativity and so we see that manifesting uh similar like to you know this uh, abusive dynamic uh in, in families where you have the the predator and then you have the victim but you, you often also find uh, this uh, cheerleader for the predator, and they take on you know, these attributes. And I think in a lot of ways, um, men, you know, we've we've lost um, we've lost touch with with what real masculinity is, which should be you know, in large part you know, a, a protective element for the creative and. So it's 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 both women who are being um, you know subjugated and, and oppressed, but also men in in a different aspect. You know, first of all, thanks for calling with that comment. Um, I recently watched part of an interview with a um, 
a military wife named Kay Griggs who came out in the late 90s. She was the wife of a um, of a Navy man who was uh, deep, deep into the kind of secret government, uh, dirty tricks, drug smuggling, um, all, all sorts of horrible things at the very highest levels of uh, the military-industrial complex. And um, she really tried to help him. She she saw that he was in a, a deep spiritual struggle, that he was um, mind-controlled, basically, to fulfill his role. Uh, and um, and so I thought it was symbolic in another way of how hyper-patriarchal uh, this country is, because whenever there were efforts on her part to uh, to help him, uh, to really help him. Uh, there was this other force involved that would literally do things to like sabotage things in her home. And when she finally decided that she was going to divorce him, there was this whole kind of force, a legal force involved with the military that that is separate from the civilian uh, law force that was totally against her. And any other wife, of of one of these guys who had had enough and wanted to uh, divorce themselves from the situation because they weren't just married to their husbands. They were married to this kind of uh, institution, um, which was incredibly sick and perverted. I mean, I haven't mentioned half the things that, that she said. And, and by the way, she's a, she's, she was a very credible, honest, courageous woman. So um, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, we have these people at the very highest levels, not only in the military, but also in entertainment and education, in medicine, who who have the power and the will and the desire to quash anything, as, as Shane was uh, pointing to, that is constructive or creative. Uh, and it comes out in all sorts of ways. And until we kind of, you know, are able to point it out in all these types of ways, we're we're still going to be subject to it, both women well, and, and men. Well, I was going to say, too, you know, I have um, spoken a lot with some Muslim women at a mosque near my home. I was in college. I did a, a paper on Muslim women in the community and interacting with them. I mean, their, their uh, dress code, for example, is one of the huge differences between, say, you know, your average American citizen and then, you know, your young Muslim woman wearing her hijab. And I remember thinking at the time, this was some some years ago, I remember thinking at the time, oh, gosh, you know, it's good that I'm in America and don't have to wear that every day or don't have to deal with that, you know, the the kind of stigma that goes along so on and so forth with the, the sorts of dress code things. But what I've come to realize now, though, is that we're just as oppressed as women in this country. And one mm-hmm. of the main, like, uh, patriotic lines that women get fed is, well, at least you're not in Saudi Arabia where you're not allowed to drive a car. Thank goodness you don't live there. Aren't you glad you're an American? Aren't you glad? But it's it's just like you guys have all pointed out. It doesn't mean that that patriarchal system is not still just as in place and, and so on and so forth. But just I think it's so important for women to just identify those types of fear mechanisms that are put in place. And one of them truly is, well, it could be a lot worse. Well, that doesn't mean it's okay, 
Um, mm-hmm. But that just that phrase, well, at least you're not in China. There they would kill you if you were a girl, you know, when you were born and, and those sorts of things. And that's kind of how those countries are demonized in a way or, or how those religions are, are demonized in that way. And I thought that was interesting how that it doesn't seem like an obvious fear tactic, but it is a program and it is a fear that, you know, well, you better be glad you don't live somewhere like that. Um as if that made the other things that were happening okay. Mm-hmm. America, love it or leave it. Right? Yeah. So either either accept everything that's wrong with American culture or just get out. Well, right. We define, we define all these things through this lens of what we think is freedom. And, you know, there's this, it's it's basically this you know Western uh, liberalism, and I, I'm not necessarily comparing it to what uh, liberalism is in the United States, but uh, like on the you know, political scale. But you know this this idea um, that of of freedom, you know it's it's um, it's it's really distorted, and other countries probably aren't defining. Uh, what is uh, free and restricted in the same sense that that we try to uh, put those labels on. Uh, So, for example, um, you're talking about the hajib and and a Muslim woman covering herself um, in a Muslim society may be uh, an inappropriate thing for them. You know, it may not be um, as uh, uh, seen in the same light that we see it, is, is what I guess what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. just one other comment. Uh, the damn shame of it to me is that, you know, have people like Hillary Clinton, who is, you know, world's most admired woman several years in a row a few years ago, and uh, others like her in, in the administration, Samantha Power, Susan Rice, Condoleezza, Condoleezza Rice. Um, uh, oh, what's this? What's this entertainer who puts meat on her body? Uh, um, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. I mean, just all of these terrible, awful uh, representations of of women uh, who have basically um, kind of. They are part of the patriarchal culture. They have internalized uh, the values of the most uh, macho um, kind of narrow thinking of males. And some of them may not have internalized it, but that have that psychopathic core. <laughs> right. Well, just that being a being a successful woman doesn't mean being a man. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing for some people. I mean, when I say that, sometimes people look at me like, "Oh, you don't believe in women's rights, then?" <laughs> but I mean, look at look at these women. I mean, like the entertainer that you pointed out, and then the political figures. I mean, how backwards is it that you know the pursuit of of femininity has become? Well, to be a successful woman, you basically become a man. How ridiculous is that? Mm-hmm. Not just a man, but to become like a psychopathic man, basically. Right. <laughs> so, it's so terrible. yeah, we'll just become as it's like equality um, at the lowest level. So, so mm-hmm. the way I see it is that a lot of these women see equality as being just as bad as the bad males are. Right. When it's, it's totally it's ridiculous. I think if you look at American culture from outside. Of the culture, and, and then look at the way 
women are treated and seen, women are not respected in Western culture, and they're not um, like they're seen as sex symbols and just totally sexualized. And you look at the you look at the uh, just how women are represented in media, and it's just as sex objects. Or well, that as was a these, very yeah. interesting point. When I, well, that was a very interesting point when I was speaking with a Muslim woman. She was a college student. We were both at the university together. And when I asked her about wearing the hijab, like if it was restrictive or something like that, you know, I expected her to give some kind of, well, it's important to my faith or it's important to uh, me as a person. But, but instead what she said was, you know, I look at all the women who walk around on our college campus and they have on short shorts and low-cut tops and their hair is down. And she said, I just feel sorry for them because they have nothing left, which in and of itself there's some issues with that. But it's very interesting to see how that's a perspective that as we see young girls grow up in our society, I mean, you go shopping in the stores and you look at the difference between the clothes they sell in the girls' department versus the clothes they sell in the boys' department for children who anatomically really, you know, they don't have breasts at that age. Mm-hmm. There's no difference. You know, they're just running around and playing. But yet there's high-heeled tennis shoes for girls. I mean, are the women in our society are just sexualized from such a young. So who it was, was that little girl? Go ahead, Leslie. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just saying that was just kind of one of those. And you, you see shows like the Toddlers and Tiara's show where these mm-hmm. women are shoving these children into these pageants and just horrible things like that. But it was so interesting to hear from someone who didn't grow up in the United States um, how she saw the average American college student. And she did pity. It was overwhelmingly she pitied those girls walking around on the campus. And she said, you know, when I'm wearing my hijab and I am in class and I say something, I know that what I am saying is being listened to because they have nothing else to look at. They have to listen to what's coming out of my mouth. (laughs) So for her, it was almost this badge of, uh, you know, courage. It was almost like in, in her own way, she was making a statement with it as I'm forcing people to to listen to me. I don't necessarily agree with the other mentality behind it, of course, but it was an interesting perspective. Who was that little girl? You, you mentioned the pageants, and uh, just prior to that, I was thinking about the the girl who was murdered by her John Benet, uh, parents. John Benet Ramsey. John Benet Ramsey. Yeah. When that story came out, um, you know, it, it was it wasn't just about John Benet because I had no idea. That uh, that these pageants for four year olds, where they were, they had their nails done and eyelashes and these fake outfits. Teeth. They do tanning and fake teeth. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, it's horrific, and and it it's like a, I know it was symbolic of a much larger thing. It was the killing of these children. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I realize that sounds dramatic, but in a way, it was. They're they're just being, you know, it's like a poodle, like a dog show. You know, mm-hmm. where the where the 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 the, the dog owners try out their you know their animals that are so well groomed and behaved and have all this form that they've developed and 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 get graded on it. I mean, I was like, what is wrong with this picture? Well, and that just contributes further to the we wonder why women have such a hard time 
in society relating. I mean, it's your only choice or your two choices. It's like you become the man, you know, the hard psychopathic, you know, balls to the wall, girl power, raw kind of person, or you're mocked for being a homemaker nowadays, or you become overly sexualized because you have no American society has stolen all sense of femininity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Those are my two cents, guys. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. Thanks for calling. Take in. care. All right. Bye. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, I, I was just thinking also of, you know, uh, an outside observer just looking at American or Western culture in general without you know, in, in its full glory, without any of the cover stories or, or lies or cover-ups. And you just look at something like human trafficking, also the pedophilia, but even just human trafficking and the actual slavery that still exists and that is um, used and abused by people in these positions of power and the people that we look up to that will lead us. They are the absolute lowest of humanity. They're monsters. They enslave people, they buy people, they abuse, torture, murder, rape people, women and children and men. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of like a free game. And just how prevalent that is that people don't know about it. It's what goes on behind the surface, beneath the surface. And it's just sickening and horrifying what what our culture actually is. Because there's the fancy, nice-looking, happy surface level of independence and freedom and democracy and all that. And and then there's the reality of what actually goes on. And it's nothing like the, the surface. And where where does that surface really even exist? I mean, we look at the surface and we yeah. have Honey Boo Boo and, you know, we have um, American Idol and, you know, all these really... Porn? Yeah, pornography and... Yeah, it's it that that is the surface, and and that's that's what the the um, most Americans are really drawn towards. And you know, what does that say about us as a society? These aren't just um, you know a few random things that you know crop up here and there, but it's directly tied to you know who we are and uh, our, our the structure of uh, of our leadership. You know, it's 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 all throughout. Well, this kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody recently and um, where I was just touching upon, you know, the various things that the U.S. is doing around the world. And uh, the response was, well, if the U.S. is so bad, why do so many people want to come here and live? And um, on that subject, there was this article that was just uh, posted to SOT from RT. 35% of Americans would consider leaving the U.S. Uh, and it says, a study polling American and immigrant adults found that 35% would consider leaving the U.S. according to TransferWise, an international money transfer company. The most popular reason for wanting to leave was to seek a better quality of life. Despite the results of the survey, 59% said it was home. Another 58% said romantic and family ties were important reasons for staying in the U.S., which is perfectly understandable. Another 22% in the survey cited 
democratic society as a reason to stay. Only 2% said low taxes. The online poll surveyed 2,000 American and immigrant adults. The percentage of those willing to leave greatly increases for the millennial generation, which is interesting, with more than half of those aged 18 to 34, or 55%, saying they would consider moving to another country for a high-paying job. So, you know, the, the very promise of, of the American dream uh, is now being recognized for, for its falsity. Uh, when you really get down to it, there are a, a large number of people who are realizing, heck, this isn't even a very good place to live. Uh, you know, despite what my grandmother uh, may have said two generations ago, or despite what my parents said when they moved from this or that country during a, a time of war. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, as as situations like Katrina, where people were basically left uh, into this, they were corralled, and, and instead of FEMA coming to help them, you know, the Army Reserves were there to uh, imprison them uh, without any aid. As more of these types of things occur, they're going to realize that the government just doesn't care. It's all an illusion. Yeah. This is a public service announcement from the government of the United States. Americans, blind obedience is the highest form of patriotism. Freedom's calling, and we're listening in to make sure freedom isn't a terrorist. <laughs> Another one of those, huh? Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, freedom isn't free. Getting back to what you were talking about, Elon. Um, yeah, I think that I think that 35% uh, number it is uh, it's pretty significant. And while I'm sure there is a uh, you know percentage of those people who are kind of fed up with the lies and the the way of uh, America conducts itself, I think especially with that figure of um, the millennials, um, that it was like 55% of them would, would consider moving overseas for a higher paying job. So what does that say you know, about our values and as well as our social connections? And it kind of ties back in with, uh, with what uh, Chris Hedges was talking about with the isolation and, you know, our, um, how particularly this group, uh, you know, they don't have these these social connections. They're not going to um, you know, these social gatherings and different ty- types of um, clubs and organizations. We don't have these connections to people, and that makes you know why would you know why would I stay where I'm at? You know, I don't have any real bonds with people, and that's 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 really worrying. You know, because that's that's that is what makes up a society, and we don't have that, or we're losing it big time. Yeah, and along these lines, I mean, we're we're still being lied about regarding the numbers of people who have jobs uh, in the U.S. Um, this is a this is a big problem, um, and it hasn't gotten better, and. <laughs> it's just going to get worse in a few months, I think. 
there was another um, item in the news that I found kind of interesting. This was posted this out just this morning, um, and uh, it regarded um, the situation in Ukraine and ambassador, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Samantha Power. Uh, speaking before a um, congressional committee. And uh, Congressman Rohrbacher, Dana Rohrbacher, um, who is one of the loudest critics of Obama's Russia policy, asked her if she thought it might be possible that the majority of the civilian casualties killed in Ukraine were victims of the Ukrainian army. And uh, as the prior comments, it was a gotcha question because... Uh, it's a it's a universally acknowledged fact mm-hmm. that most of the victims, several thousand, are in eastern Ukraine and were murdered. Most of them citizens were murdered by uh, the Kiev forces. Um, and what she answered was, I think it is highly unlikely on the basis of reports we have received from the United Nations and the OSCE, which is a blatant lie. Um, so, uh, she, she lied (laughs) before this, this committee because, uh, the OSCE has, you know, come out to say that most of these people were civilians and, um, you know, she's just another one of these getting back to Leslie's call and, and the idea, you know, she's, if you ever look at Samantha Power, she's got this mane of red hair and, you know, fair skin and large eyes and has this very sincere, intelligent expression on her face for most of the time. But she's a total tool uh, for the oligarchy and the elite in the U.S. And and uh, she's got this book on, uh, um, you know, wars and that, that she's written that, that kind of gives her this claim to fame about humanitarianism and the U.S.'s role in preventing genocide in the world. And uh, it's all a facade. Um, so uh, maybe next week we'll we'll play a little bit of the the audio from that because I I think it's instructive. But um, in any case, uh, just another one of the one of the major lies and, and people who are willing to lie in order to do what allow what the U.S. is doing around the world. It just it blows my mind. Like what? What possible answer could you give for who's really who really killed all these civilians? I mean, um, yes. So, so yeah, there's just no answer because it's totally obvious what has happened. It's not like it's like she's faced with this very basic question, uh, where where the facts are the elephant in the room, and. And she feels compelled to, well, that's her job basically, right? Yeah. It's, it's just to continue the U.S. narrative for, for these things. And, um, and she got called out on it big time. Rohrbacker, kudos to you, sir, whoever you are, uh, this congressman, um, really put the question to her. And he said, you know, uh, would, would this whole situation have even started if there wasn't the violent a violent coup in Ukraine and Kiev. Um, and, and she dismissed the question. Oh, it's not even a question. That's, that's, uh, that's what Putin would assert. And, and I have learned not to listen to Putin. And what back her retorted 
uh, well, maybe you should, you know, <laughs> it was, it was the, the, the kind of the smack ups upside the, the head of this person that, um, and occasionally you get this, uh, that makes you want to kind of stand up and cheer for someone who's got the, the, the quijones and the commitment to doing his job as a, as a leader in the U S um, that he's actually doing it. So anyway, do read that article. If you get a chance, there's a video posted of it as well. Well, one of the things that was baffling to kind of relating to what you're saying, Harrison was she even clarified that most of uh, the deaths were from civilians and hello, where is the fighting taking place? Where are these civilians dying? It's not in Kiev. Who's firing the bombs? Yeah, and who's firing? Exactly. I mean, this is it's just it's beyond uh, it's beyond the pale. It's it's inconceivable. <laughs> inconceivable. It's a total flat out rejection of reality that is just in your face. It's like saying it's it's like saying the sky isn't blue when it is. It's it's totally ridiculous. I mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, speechless. There was a, a kind of a so um, Putin had a place to call to Obama about a week ago, week and a half ago, and uh, there was coverage of that. And um, the way the White House and its media mouthpiece, the New York Times, kind of spinned it um, was that uh, you know they were happy. They were happy that Obama was speaking to Putin because uh, now he was going to think about the Syrian situation and, and, and seriously and take ISIS more seriously. And the fact that, you know, Assad needs to take ISIS more seriously and, uh, you know, and kind of conflating, you know, uh, innocents dying in, in Syria with the Assad regime. I mean, they're still going after this narrative. They're still, despite all evidence, it's it's just another mind-boggling attempt to assert or, or do their reality creation. So, um, yeah, we're going to see a lot more of that, I think. Yeah, when it comes down to it, they're just flat-out lying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's what is so hard for people to accept, and even me. But... Uh, because it does, it still boggles my mind when I hear it. But just simply, they're flat out lying, and that's how they get the job done. Is that most people just can't accept that they would be? That, well, they must have a reason for saying what they're saying. I mean, they probably have some kind of evidence, or you know, even if it's even if it's not totally true, they must have a good reason for saying what they do. But no, they don't. They're just flat out lying. Simple as that. No, maybe that's one thing that we can put our pride in. We have the best liars in the world. The most persistent, anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that's. Yeah. Were there any other stories? Oh, you know what? We do have a we do have another clip oh. to play on American Pride, I believe. Yeah. So uh, this is George Carlin, being George Carlin. Totally awesome. Any other introduction, or is that sufficient? Yeah, I think with the whole nationalism and um, you know the idea of what what makes how, how can we be proud of being born? Just 
just having this designation of being born, you know, in America or Ireland or... All right, let's get into it. Kids have to be warned that there's bullshit coming down the road. That's the biggest thing you can do for a kid. Tell them what life in this country is about. It's about a whole lot of bullshit that needs to be detected and avoided. That's the best thing you can do. No one told me. No one told me a thing like that. I was never warned about any of this. I had to find all of it out for myself. And there are still, as with you probably, a lot of things that you're expected to believe and accept in America that uh, I personally have a problem with, and I question a lot of these things. Give you an example. I saw a slogan on a guy's car that said, Proud to be an American. And I thought, well, what the fuck does that mean? proud to be an American. You see, I've never understood national pride. I've never understood ethnic pride because uh, I'm Irish and I'm all four of my grandparents were born in Ireland, so I'm fully Irish. And when I was a kid, I would go to the St. Patrick's Day Parade and I noticed that they sold a button that said proud to be Irish. And I could never understand that because I knew that on Columbus Day, they sold a different button that said proud to be Italian. Then came black pride and Puerto Rican pride. And I could never understand ethnic or national pride because to me, Pride should be reserved for something you achieve or attain on your own, not something that happens by accident of birth. Being Irish... (laughs) Being Irish isn't a skill. It's a fucking genetic accident. You wouldn't say I'm proud to be 5'11". I'm proud to have a predisposition for colon cancer. So why the fuck would you be proud to be Irish or proud to be Italian or American or anything? If if you're happy with it, that's fine. Do that. Put that on your car. Happy to be an American. Be happy. Don't be proud. Too much pride as it is. Pride goeth before a fall. Never forget Proverbs, okay? Now, here's another slogan. Here's another slogan you run into all the time. God bless America. Once again, respectfully, I say to myself, what the fuck does that mean? God bless America? Is that a request? Is that a demand? Is that a suggestion? Politicians say it at the end of every speech, as if it were some sort of verbal tick that they can't get rid of. God bless you and God bless America. God bless you and God bless America. I guess they figure if they leave it out, someone's going to think they're bad Americans. Let me tell you a little secret about God, folks. God does not give a flying fuck about America, okay? He doesn't care. He never cared about this country. He never has. He never will. He doesn't care about this country any more than he cares about Mongolia, Transylvania, Pittsburgh, the Suez Canal, or the North Pole. He simply doesn't care, okay? He doesn't care. Listen. There are 200 countries in the world now. Do these people honestly think that God is sitting around picking out his favorites? Why would he do that? Why would God have a favorite country? And why would it be America out of all the countries? Because we have the most money? Because he likes our national anthem? Maybe it's because he heard we have 18 delicious flavors of classic rice It's delusional thinking. It's delusional thinking. And Americans are not alone with these sort of delusions. Military cemeteries around the world are packed with brainwashed, dead soldiers who are convinced God was on their side. America prays for God to destroy our enemies. Our enemies pray for God to destroy us. Somebody's going to be disappointed. (laughs) Somebody's wasting their fucking time. Could it be everyone? (laughs) Now. now. Mm. 
stories that uh, I've heard about people actually sitting in Carlin's uh, audience. You know, there's not actually so many people laughing, mm-hmm. just sitting in horror, <laughs> listening to the truth bomb come out. Yeah. He could tell it like a few others could. I was thinking we should have just started the show with that and ended mm-hmm. it right there. Mm-hmm. No, but he, yeah, uh, I think he kind of said a lot of what we were trying to say today. Uh, and and uh, it, it can be funny as well. I guess it depends on your mood. Well, sometimes you got to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it for today. It's been a great Independence Day show for us. We enjoyed it. Thanks to all our colleagues, Jonathan, Kent, Leslie. We will be back next week. And Kent. Didn't I say Kent? Uh, no, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't. But yeah, Kent too, as always. And uh, we do have a special guest next week. Oh, yeah. Yep, I'm not going to say who it is. And I'm going to borrow a tactic from behind the headlines and, and hope that you tune in to find out who it is. It's going to be a very interesting show. Um, but yeah, hope we, uh, hope we have you next week to listen in as well. Now there will be, there is a little hint of who it is with, uh, the closing song, but you might not make the, be able to make the connection until we, uh, we actually have them on. Yes. So yeah, put on your sleuthing hat, get in Nancy Drew mode and you'll be able to figure it out. Just don't spoil it for everyone else. It's a, it's a surprise. So, so yeah, we're going to play a song here to close the show. Uh, what's it called again? Uh, well, it's by Chris Christopherson, so that's all you need to know. Just listen to the lyrics. Don't let the bastards get you down. All right, so everyone take care. We'll see you next week. Tune in to Behind the Headlines tomorrow. And so, yeah, everyone take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Killing babies in the name of freedom. We've been down that sorry road before They let us hang around a little longer than they should have It's too late to fool us anymore We've seen the ones who kill the ones with vision Cold-blooded murder right before your eyes they hold the power and the money and the guns It's getting hard to listen to their lies And I just gotta wonder what my daddy would have done If he'd seen the way they turned this dream around I gotta go by what he told me Try to tell the truth and stand your ground Don't let the bastards get you down Bombing Baghdad back into the Stone Age Round the clock, non-stop Killed them in their homes and on their highways After a decade of crippling sanctions, we decided we'd go back in there and do it all over again. Fighting terrorism. And I just gotta wonder what my daddy would have done if 
He'd seen the way they turned his dream around I gotta go by what he told me Try to tell the truth and stand your ground Don't let the bastards get you down Thank you.